Buongiorno a tutti. Benvenuto to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. This is episode 58. Wow, it's even older than me. <laughs> Liar. My name is Kimberly Holcomb, and I'm here with Il Famoso Tommaso. Ciao, bella donna. Ciao, amore. Come stai? Ah, bene, bene. Perfetto. Alrighty, before we start this episode on the region of Umbria, I just want to say a quick word before we dive into all the goodness that this region has. I want to remind all of you that if you're thinking to go to Italy next year, next spring, next summer, next fall, anytime in 2023, start planning now. Or better yet, call me and I'll plan it for you. <laughs> I've been working on several trips for next May and June for some clients, and I've actually been surprised at the limited, quasi-limited amount of availability in some of my favorite places all over Italy. So that made me think that I should point this out to you before we start this episode. Don't be late. Don't be one of those people that I see, unfortunately, sometimes you see them on Facebook, like someone the other day said, where I was reading through a thread on Venice. Hey, I'm going to Venice next week. Where should I stay? Mm -hmm. I felt like I felt like <laughs> replying, you'll be in the train station yes. <laughs> on a bench. Well, I think the reason the availability that I've seen or not lack of, but the limited availability I have seen for next year is because everyone has heard how crowded Italy has been this year since Easter. So since April of this year till today, it is just at capacity. So they're planning ahead and getting ready for next year, 2023. But don't fear because I have an incredible database full of all kinds of sweet places to stay all over the country. So, Mikiami, give me a call. Allora. No. <laughs> He's trying to jam in his alloras. That's my role. Allora. Okay, on to Umbria. The nickname of Umbria is La Cuore Verde d'Italia, Italy's green heart. Isn't that cute? That's very cute. Mm hmm. Yes. And when you see it, you realize why it has this nickname. Another fun fact is that it's the only region out of all 20 that does not border the sea or another country. Or as the Italians like to say, it's not washed by the sea. And that's because the majority of their regions on this peninsula that makes up the country of Italy are all washed by the sea. I find that to be a beautiful Way to say you live on the coast. Yes, right. We're washed by the sea We're, here in Little Rhodey. Absolutely. 400 miles of washing. Yes, the smallest state with the most amount of coastline. Well, uh, not the most, but no, right. or size, yeah, appropriate. Pr proportionally. Proportional, thank you. Okay, so Tuscany is the region to the west of Umbria, and Le Marche is the region to the east. And these two regions actually meet on the top of Umbria. So... Little Umbria, totally landlocked. The region of Lazio, where Rome is, is to the south. So Umbria is the fifth smallest region in Italy. And check this out, the sixth lowest population density. That's a good reason to go because no it'll kidding. probably have a lower tourist density also. It, it does. You can have a good time without having the mob. 
Exactly. And I'm not quite sure why it is. Maybe its neighbor Tuscany is just so famoso. And I guess the more people like our podcast and everyone else that says this, we shouldn't say it because people will go. But it definitely is less crowded than other regions. It's not on the greatest hits list. Well, the capital of Perugia. Yes. And of course, Assisi, Assisi. the village of Assisi, where St. Francis of Assisi is. Those two are crowded during the high seasons every year. Okay. We we will get into that later. Umbria also has the Apennine Mountains running through all of the entire region. And that's how you pronounce it in English, correct? Apennine? Is that correct? I was I was I always called it Apennine. Apennine. Okay. See, so I'm confused because I'm just used to it in in uh, Italian. Apennine or even worse. <laughs> this one's a tongue twister. If you are referring to the mountain range itself, if you want to say those two words, the mountain range of the Apennine, you call it Montagne Apenninike. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, just say Apennine. Just, you know, or Montagne Apennine. Oh, forget it. <laughs> I said it once correctly and I'm finished. Okay, so these. Mountains have some ecosystems intact that have not been ruined at all by human intervention. They have some of the best preserved forests and mountainous grasslands in all of Europe. And that, to me, is amazing. Think of all the forests in Switzerland, in Germany. I've been to the Black Forest. That place seemed like no one had ever been in there, and it went forever. France, like there are so many forests in all of Europe these forests of the Apennine Mountains are the best preserved. However, beware. Because of this lack of mankind's footprint, these mountains also have predators. <laughs> There's an Italian wolf and a bear called the Marsican brown bear, which are extinct in the rest of Europe. Really? Yeah. So they are predators up there? Wolves and bears? Yes, I just said that. I know. What does that make you want to do? Well, you asked me if I wanted to go camping there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering wondering why now. Let's let's rethink that. (laughs) (laughs) So there are some flat parts of Umbria as well, thanks to the Valley of the Tiber. And in these flat basins are endless fields of very rare flowers and poppies. You know, those red poppies and even orchids. So in late spring and early summer, this basin called the Piano Grande is awash in incredibly brilliant colors when they're all in bloom. And Piano Grande, by the way, does not mean a grand piano. Oh, I was just... (laughs) (laughs) Is that funny? So the word piano has several meanings when you translate it into English. But primarily in Italian, when you say, oh, I live on the first floor, prima piano. Or it can also mean slowly, like piano, piano, Tommaso, piano, when you're driving. So it has different meanings. But in this valley, in this flat plain, I think it just means like the grand, the ground floor of the valley. Huh. So in con- you have to understand when the word is being used and what context yes, it's exactly. being used in. Context is key, especially when you're starting to learn a new language. Especially since I don't play the piano. So that would be... <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, my God. Okay, so carrying on from Piano Grande, Umbria also has the largest lake south of the lake regions up in, up in the north. You know, like Lago, Lago di Garda, the largest lake, Lago Maggiore, Lago Como. So this lake called Trasimeno, Lago Trasimeno, is circular in shape, and it's smack dab in the middle of the country, in between the two coasts. So during the hot season, the Tuscans and the Umbrians that don't want to deal with the hordes of tourists on the coast, they go to Lago Trasimeno. Hmm. And it's not huge, but it's water, and it's fresh, and it's pretty. And it's high up in the mountains, so it's probably a little colder than normal. Could be. It'd be really cooling. I have to say, I've never swam in it. I have been to it, and I've been to the one, well, there's technically three islands on it, but one is large enough to house a few things, and it has incredible history, as a matter of fact. It's called Isola Polvese, and this tiny island naturally has, you know, a couple medieval castles and a monastery, which is called Monastero di San Secondo. And this bit of history I find amazing. So in 1492, so remember, you're in the middle of Umbria, in the middle of Italy, on a lake. And in 1492, the Olivetane monks arrived on this spit of an island and dedicated themselves and the island to the cultivation of olive trees and therefore the production of olive oil. 1492, they chose to go to a little island and plant olive trees. And they did. Instead of sailing the ocean blue like Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Cristofero Colombo. Okay, sorry. Pretty close. <laughs> so now you get the little nickname of the monks. It makes sense. The Olivetane. Olivetane. Carino. Si. Very cute. Si. At one point, this teeny island was so busy with all the olive orchards and the people that work there that they built six churches. Only the ruins remain of a few, including a bell tower. So it's very beautiful to walk around. There's only one place to stay, as I mentioned, Isola Polvese Resort, which must be a sweet place to wake up to. But as I mentioned earlier, I have been to this island, but have never swam in the water. So I don't know if it's cooler or not, but it's, it's lovely. So back to getting around Umbria. I personally think the best way to see Umbria is to drive. It does not have that crazy factor of Rome or Napoli. It's much, much more tranquilo and beautiful. And as I mentioned, less crowded. So driving is fine. Even for people that are intimidated by it, I I think you can do it. I'm going to give you that positive speech. You, you can may do not, it. You may not be able to handle Napoli, but you could handle Umbria. Yes. Yes, wherever you live in America or wherever you're listening around the world, if you drive where you live, you can definitely drive in Umbria, okay? And it can be a tad adventurous, for example, driving. If you're staying in a renovated castle on the top of the mountain, I did that a couple of years ago, uh, north of Perugia. And it's funny because you're going up and up these little dirt roads and it's so narrow and you keep thinking, if anyone comes the other direction, I'm going to have to back up because that person couldn't back up uphill. I would have to be backing up because I was the one driving up. Then again, the odds are you're never going to run into anyone because no one's there. Well, Get if it? So, if someone does, they're going to be cursing you out. <laughs> Kimberly told me I wouldn't be running in and I'm backing down three and a half kilometers. 
<laughs> you can do it. It's tutto bene in the end. <laughs> it can happen. And it's fun. Those experiences are fun. However, if you do not want to drive around Umbria, you can take the train. There may be a lot of buses involved to get from a main train station to a little village, or you can try a taxi. They're not as prevalent as getting out of a train station in, say, Philadelphia or, or somewhere, but you can do it and or hire a private driver. Those are a plenty in Tuscany and Umbria because both of those regions lend themselves to driving more than trains and buses, etc. So, you know, before I carry on, I just want to mention the pronunciation of the word Umbria, which is normally or sometimes I should say mispronounced by English-speaking people, and they call it Umbria. I did, until I met you. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of like, you know, I'm not making a fun of anyone. This is not not being snarky in any way, but it's like people calling the island Capri or the region of Puglia, and now there's (laughs) Umbria. So it happens, and it's okay. But you know what? That's kind of a funny idea for another road trip. We could go to all the mispronounced places around Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be funny? Well, I'd like to bring in, you know, Umbria. And I call the color umber, umber, burnt umber and umber. So should I call them now umber? You know, I'm not sure about that. That's a very good point. And maybe all the artistic people out there that paint and draw and, you know, study art history, maybe that's why they call it Umbria. Well, because it, of the color. Yeah, it also derives from the from the words terra de ombra, which is the earth of Umbria. Mm-hmm. So that was the Italian name for the pigment. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Siena. Right. Burnt Siena. Burnt Siena. Right. Which is burnt Siena right now. It's kind of hot there. Yeah, oh, that's so sad. Good analogy, but sad. Anyway, very good point. So I am not making fun of anyone that mispronounces anything, but I'm here to help you. So Umbria, Umbria it is. Allora, a little bit about the history. The name itself comes from the ancient tribe, the Umbri. They lived in this area. And this was, of course, in the first millennium BC, and they were under the rule of the Etruscans. And then the Romans came along in like the 4th century BC and took over the Umbri tribe and lasted until the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 AD. That's a lot of history in terms of longevity. Yes, that's a lot of history in comparison to us, which we have a couple of hundred years. Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. But we did have indigenous tribes here as well beforehand. Yes, we just don't know much about their history. Okay. Carrying on, the region of Umbria, due to the fertile soil stemming from those very well-preserved mountains I mentioned earlier, is perfectly suited to agriculture, with the main crops being grains, cereals, tobacco, still, sugar beet, sunflowers, and vineyards. Ah, now we're talking. (laughs) Right? Now we're talking. So let's talk wine right now. Vino Italiano, my personal favorite. Favorite red wine from Umbria is Montefalco Sagrantino. It's a special red grape that grows in the Umbria area close to the hillside village of Montefalco, with the grape being called, of course, Sagrantino. They have been growing this grape in Montefalco, which, by the way, is this teeny, idyllic, fabulous village. 
And they've been growing this grape there since at least 1598 when they have documentation about the Sagrantino grape. However, during the 1960s and 70s, there was a migration during an economic boom to the cities of Italy. So all the younger people moved to Rome, to Firenze, wherever. And the vineyards in Montefalco all but disappeared. And there were only about 25 acres left of the Sagrantino grape from five producers. And finally, a man named Arnaldo Caprai. Remember the word Caprai from Capri? Yes. Goat. Mm -hmm. So Arnaldo the goat (laughs) (laughs) bought one of the properties and helped revive Montefalco's ancient grape, Grasadio, because I love, love, love this grape. Only 25 acres were left. Yes. And it had been just how Montefalco and that whole little province in the region of Umbria thrived. Right. But things happen, things change. But thank goodness for all these good people that keep traditions alive. There's other red grapes as well. One is called Sangiovese, as you know, and another one, Colorino. Besides the Montefalco Sagrantino is the Torgiano Rosso. So I think you've all seen that name in wine stores in America, Torgiano, Torgiano Rosso. There's also a Montefalco Rosso. So just these red blends from these grapes. And Montefalco also produces a dessert wine called Sagrantino Pasito, like the past red wine. Do you remember the uh, Vinsanto dessert wine I described in the Tuscan one of the Tuscan episodes? Yes. It's the same concept, Similar. dessert wine, but which we still have a bottle in our in our refrigerator yes, here. Yes, yes. Similar in the fact it's a dessert wine, but a totally different taste. Huh. Funny, right? It's less sweet. Less I, sweet. I think the one from Montefalco, but what do I know? I just like wine, but I'm not a a professional. So Montefalco, in my opinion, does it all. It's my go. It's my go-to village for wine. Oh, you just have to go. I'm taking you there, Tomaso. You'll love it. If someone were listening to this podcast, they would somewhat maybe think we're a little bit focused on booze. But we're not. It's, I know. It's I'm part only, of the culture. I'm only kidding. The culture. And we would be having a glass of. Montefalco wine right now if it weren't the middle of the afternoon when we're (laughs) recording this. And it's also very hot. So we would be drinking their white wine. Yes. Which is refreshing. So for you white wine lovers, the forest I mentioned earlier claims some responsibility for the intense aromas that make up the white wine from Umbria. They also say that the clay soil in the Umbrian land adds to the distinct whites of the region. So Here's a few of them. Trebbiano Spoletino. Trebbiano we have had here. It's in our little wine store on the village. Spoletino means simply that it comes from the village of Spoleto, which we will go into in a future episode. Okay. That place is a dream. It's an art center. Oh, it's so incredible. So Trebbiano Spoletino is a delicious white wine, as is Grechetto. So, as you know, I prefer red wine, but I did drink a lot of both of these the last time I was in Umbria, and I thought they were lovely and, as I mentioned, really refreshing in the warm months. And that's why we should be drinking one right now. No. It's too early. <laughs> I know. We don't have any anyway. Okay, so let's move on to the cuisine. The cuisine of Umbria is rich and delicioso. 
Most people think of black truffles, cured meats, and chocolate first, but there's more. They also have a lot of olive orchards, so it's ever-present in their cuisine as well. And the Umbrians also have that same strada di olio that I mentioned in the previous episode on Puglia, which translates to the road of oil. So you can drive through Umbria on the Strada di Olio through all these olive orchard vineyards, and they are just amazing. You can visit the Frantoias, the olive presses during the fall, tastings galore. They're open to anybody and everything. They are very welcoming because there's less tourists. So I think the olive oil from Umbria is delicious. I think the olive oil from Puglia is amazing. We think they all taste different, but what do we know? They are different, but to us, they're all just wonderful. Yes. Da morire. So the black truffles and the portobello mushrooms in Umbria are in just about every single pasta sauce or risotto or any dish throughout the entire fall season. And when I say portobello mushrooms, I do not mean the ones that you buy in America that look like they were cut out of a mold, right? They're also the same perfect shape. These portobello fungi in Umbria and all over Italy are just naturally uneven, kind of ugly. And the taste is amazing. So lunch, dinner, all truffle season long, it's all about the tartufo. Tartufo nero. It's funny. I would think that a um, portobello mushroom may be a little bit too strong for a pasta. No, it no. Okay. They're, Madonna, you haven't had one yet? Well, no. In a pasta sauce? Okay. No. We're going to Umbria. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Let's book, book the plane right now. Yes. Okay, now on to the famous cured meats of Umbria. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> the most well-known, il più famoso, is the prosciutto di Norcia. Norcia is a teeny village, and for a change, it's not on a hilltop like most villages are. Instead, it's on a plain, and it too has been there since the 5th century BC, and they've probably been curing pork since then. More interesting history for you right here is Norcia is the birthplace of, as they call it, quote, the art of pork processing. That's not very romantic sounding, but they are immensely proud of this art of theirs. And the word Norcino means a butcher that specializes in pork only. I'm proud of them being proud because (laughs) my taste buds are very happy they're proud. Mm -hmm. So the Norcino is the butcher that specializes just in pork. You couldn't call a man that butches or carves. How do I say that? Butchers. Butchers. You wouldn't call a man that butchers a cow or Norcino. Okay. Capito? Got it? Sure. Certo. So the word Norcineria means butchery, the act of butchery. And these days, you know how charcuterie is so popular. Now they're using the word Norcineria, not just for butchery, but for the person that is so good at charcuterie. So... These days, it's like an art form. It's beautiful. These displays of cheeses and fruits and cured meat. It's almost too lovely to dive into at first. Like, who's going to be the first person to ruin the piece of art? But they do it and they excel at it. 
And I will say that the French lay claim to inventing, as they pronounce it, charcuterie. But I think they should go to Norcha and have it out with these guys because I think they're they're the first. They've been there since 5th century BC. Well, you know, there were people in France at the same time. They're competitors. They're competitors. Okay. So anyway, Norcha's prosciutto is supposedly the best in the entire world. And they attribute this fact to the amount of oak trees around Norcha and the acorns from these trees supposedly are the favorite treat of pigs and therefore they make for the best tasting prosciutto. Now, I need to say something about the word prosciutto, okay? Do you realize that a lot of Americans think that prosciutto is just called prosciutto? Literally, I have been in a grocery store and someone will be standing next to me and say, can I have half pound of prosciutto? That, I'm, I'm like cringing, thinking... Was that Vinny Bumbats? No, well, who knows? Was he on like The Sopranos? Oh. I mean, it just reminds me of like a bad rip-off Godfather movie or something. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. some prosciutto. Hey, how you doing? Right, so it's prosciutto, and that's it. Okay. Okay, just, if you can't roll your t- R's in your tongue, that's fine, but just prosciutto, okay. no prosciutto. Okay, the tradition that goes into curing meats or making salami and other cold cuts is still carried on in the exact same way it was hundreds of years ago. And you can take classes in this all over Umbria. Well, it wouldn't really be a class per se because you couldn't watch this meat cure and age, but you witness it and you learn the process. I'm willing to stay for a while. (laughs) I have to say that cured meats from Umbria are so prized throughout Italy, that they are sold first and foremost to Italians. Very little seems to be sold internationally. So, Tommaso, you have never had prosciutto di norcia. And when you do, I'm sure it'll be the best you have ever had in your life. You'll probably cry. (laughs) And then you know what you'll do? Look for an apartment. In norcia. (laughs) (laughs) Every time we do a, a new episode... I'll come up like the next day or that night and I'll look and he's on this James edition real estate site <laughs> looking at apartments in, you know, wherever we talked yes. about. Yes. So if anyone's looking for an apartment, just call Tom. He can, <laughs> he can tell you where you can get a good real estate broker to the stars. What's it called? James edition. James edition. There you go. Real estate surfing. I don't eat meat, as you all know, but I will say that walking into one of these typical salumerias anywhere in Italy, or especially in Umbria, and most importantly, in Norcia, just sucks me in. They are beautiful. They're these teeny small shops, and all the meats are cased in like like a netting, and then they're tied with twine, and then they're hanging from the rafters, from door frames. From windowsills. They're hanging everywhere. And a few of these shops, like especially the one in Norcia, because I've been there and I took a million photos years and years ago on film. But a couple of these shops in Norcia, because they're so famous for it, they have the taxidermed. Is that how you say it? Taxidermy. Yes. Taxidermed, like boar or pig's head out front of the shop. So I make like 
no eye contact with them. I just walk <laughs> head down, walk straight in and avoid that scene. And then I get inside and it's seemed to be like wood walls and some red and white check cloth covering a couple of the tables and whatnot. It is so quintessentially, uniquely Italian. And even though it's all meat, I love going in there. I'm so happy to know that. I'd be happy to take you there and watch you eat your way through the animal kingdom of cured meats Again. in Norcia. Again. No, you haven't been to Norcia yet. No, but I've, I've eaten my way through the animal kingdom. I know, I know. Okay, so let's move on to the pasta. The pasta in Umbria naturally includes a lot of meat sauces, obviously. However, the fresh pasta is made only with flour and water. No eggs again. Wow. Right? And they need the dough much longer to get the correct texture. But for whatever reason, Umbrian pasta does not have eggs ever. Isn't that amazing? Huh. So we didn't know that till no, Paolo came till Paolo here. Paolo came in. Right? Yes. Thank you, Paolo. <laughs> <laughs> they also grow a huge variety of vegetables to use in their pastas and various dishes, you know, like asparagus and fennel and Faro, I love faro. Lentils, broad beans, you name it. And guess what? They also have a famous pea, like the designated pea from Puglia. Remember we talked about that like yes. two episodes ago? The pop filters, the peas from Puglia. Yes. <laughs> this Umbrian pea was cultivated for centuries, but actually was eaten by the poorest people. And they even fed it to the pigs and to the other farm animals. But in 1998, I had to look this up to get the exact date. In 1998, a woman in Umbria found a jar of these peas buried in the dirt underneath her house. And so she did a little investigation, asked the oldest inhabitants of her village, did some history in a library and found that these were the same peas that they had grown centuries ago and was the main staple of the Umbrian cuisine. So funny enough, it went from a poor man's meal to, as she called it, from pigs to Michelin star restaurants in just a few centuries. Wow. <laughs> Another famous Pete. I love that. To summarize the Umbrian cuisine, just about everything in their dishes comes from the small family farms and the centuries old occupation of feeding their own families first and supplying local monasteries with their produce. They never worried about selling it. It was feeding their own family and the monasteries and the village inhabitants. And that has carried on in Umbria. They have much less large-scale farming than other parts of Italy. So therefore, their cuisine has basically stayed the same with less influence from other regions and other cultures. So it's very old school, old ways, handmade from scratch every single day. Sounds pretty damn perfect, doesn't it? Yes, we can make it in our apartment in Norcia. <laughs> we'll have a backyard where we grow vegetables for me. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have to end, but I didn't get into the chocolate. We'll get into that in the next episode, but I'll just give you two words. Perugina and bachi. Right? Okay. You know those pots. Yes, those I do. chocolates. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, our next episode will be on just a few of the many places to visit Numbra. Like I mentioned, idyllic, picture-perfect, sweet-as-can-be villages. I'm guessing I can't fit all these villages into just one more episode, so we might have two more for you on this beautiful region of Bellitalia called Umbria. 
beautiful and less crowded. Yes. Yes. Okay. Grazie mille tutti. Once again, thank you for all the reviews and emails, Instagram messages. And if by chance you do listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, please give us a review. It helps us grow our listeners and share the love with more people just like you. Anything you want to say on Apple Podcasts would be great. One or two sentences um, would be fantastic. We greatly appreciate it. Yes. Thank you very much. Va bene tutti amici. Grazie mille. Oh, bravo. You kind of rolled your tongue a little bit. Grazie mille tutti. Must be something wrong. (laughs) Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.